Welcome to your weekly update on all things tax, The Tax Factor, from Blick Rothenberg. With Heather Self and Alan Tan. I'm Heather Self. Welcome to The Tax Factor, the weekly podcast from Blick Rothenberg. I'm delighted to say we've been climbing up the podcast charts. We might even be number one. So thank you for listening and do stay tuned as it's going to be an interesting few weeks ahead. It's good to be back and I'm pleased to introduce another new voice to The Tax Factor, Blick Rothenberg Global Mobility Partner, Alan Tam. Welcome to the best tax podcast in town, Alan. No pressure. Delighted, Heather. Well, a week is a long time in politics, as somebody said once. We're recording this after seeing the resignation of Suella Braverman and the appointment of David Cameron as Foreign Secretary as part of a wider reshuffle. It's had some impact on the Treasury team as well, but Jeremy Hunt has stayed as Chancellor and, of course, we've got the autumn statement next week. Now, the political nerds among you will know that there are four roles within the Treasury. There's the Chancellor himself, and it always has been a man so far. And then there's the Chief Secretary to the Treasury, the Financial Secretary to the Treasury, and the Economic Secretary to the Treasury. The one that we care about most is the Financial Secretary to the Treasury, because that's the person who shepherds the budget and finance bill through Parliament. But I believe that we've got a new Chief Secretary to the Treasury as well, Laura Trott. I don't know her, but I think you do, Alan. I do, but not personally, of course. Uh, she's my local MP. Very impressive CV, having graduated from Oxford University and having worked at Booz and Company. She's also married to a big four partner. Interesting. We've also got Nigel Huddleston as the new FST, the Financial Secretary to the Treasury. Uh, he's also got a business background. He's got an MBA and he's worked for at least two of the big four. So we've certainly got some business experience within the more junior Treasury roles now. Of course, it's an autumn statement, not a budget next week. And I know we've been speculating about what we might see. Uh, we have had some good news for the Chancellor this week. Inflation figures are down. It was 4.6%, which might give him more room for tax cuts. What rumours have you heard recently, Alan? Well, via social media and comments made in the media, the talk is around steadying the ship and reducing inflation, which, as you said, Heather, the government has reached its inflation target a month early. Therefore, we're unlikely to see significant tax cuts, given they generally have the opposite effect on inflation. The government have been raising much more from income tax and NIC from households caused by freezing tax thresholds, whilst wages have continued to rise. This has meant families have less money to spend, reducing pressure on prices. However, Jeremy Hunt has dropped hints over further support for businesses ahead of next week's autumn statement, including scrapping the hated factory tax, which relates to the inability to fully expense investments in machinery and buildings. In fact, former Chancellor Nadhim Sahari has asked to make full expensing permanent. That will be interesting, and it's something that Rob and Matt referred to in the podcast last week as well. It's something which in the budget arithmetic is it doesn't flow through to the inflation figures because we've already got full expensing until 2026. So he could probably say he's going to make it permanent, knowing full well that it actually only has an impact after the next election. So I do think that's looking like a front runner for the autumn statement. We've had a few comments from other political parties or other politicians, I think, haven't we, Alan? So talking about budgets and budget responsibility, Labour have announced that they would introduce legislation to ensure the Independent Office of Budget Responsibility can publish its own report on the dangers or benefits of any substantial tax or spending plans to be introduced in the budget or other fiscal event. This is to create a kind of safeguard against fiscal crisis such as Liz Truss's mini-budget, which sent the financial markets into meltdown, drove up mortgage rates and led to a stepping down as PM after only 49 days. And she has uh, produced some sort of growth 
growth budget proposals this week, which have got, I think, a cutting corporation tax to 15% proposed. Yes, the growth budget from Liz Truss, which was released this week, had proposals around cutting corporation tax to 15%, as well as unfreezing tax allowances, which the current government has frozen until 2028. It has been stated that the proposals will boost GDP by 23% and household incomes by 26,000 by 2044. However, this is an alternative budget and it's not the actual budget or autumn statements, which will be delivered by the current Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, next week. Indeed. Let's wait and see what he has to say. Mm. Turning now to what else has been in the news, there have been several tax cases ranging from personal and small business ones right up to some major EU developments. Let's start with uh, a small business one, Alan, a fraud case relating to the COVID reliefs. This is the case of a Manchester hotel owner being jailed for making, and I quote, completely fabricated claims for the Etalk to Help scheme. The owner falsely claimed around 138000 from the government's Etalk to Help scheme and the coronavirus job retention scheme. He made multiple claims between April 2020 and August 2021. However, HMRC investigators discovered that the hotel owner did not serve food in his hotel at all. The only catering was tea and coffee making facilities in the hotel bedrooms. The owner also duplicated his claims by submitting information for two separate hotels when in fact there was only one. It's good that HMRC are tackling fraud, although there is a concern if taxpayers have made genuine mistakes, will HMRC take this level of severity. The moral of this episode is that if HMRC open an inquiry, to take it seriously, ask questions or to ask for support where it is needed. Thanks, Alan. The next one I spotted was one about a transfer of a house between spouses who were separating. Now, I think as everybody knows, husband and wife or husband and husband or wife and wife can transfer properties tax-free during a marriage. Once they're divorced, they can no longer do that. In the period when they separate, there's a concession that says they can still transfer assets in the year of separation. And what happened here was that Mrs. Wilmore was the main wage earner. She had provided quite a lot of money to her husband, who'd set up in business as a property developer. And at the time they separated, they had their main residence and they also had a second property, which in theory was going to become their main residence. And they agreed fairly quickly that she would keep the first one and he would have the second. But they didn't do any formal transfer until after the beginning of the next tax year. The revenue claimed that in order to do a transfer of property, you need legal formalities. It's not enough just to have an informal agreement. And anyway, they hadn't finalised their agreement by the end of the tax year. But the tribunal was sympathetic. They said it was very clear from the evidence that Mrs Wilmore had in fact transferred her full beneficial ownership in the property before the end of the tax year. And so it was a tax-free transfer. I think that's a general warning that when you get married or separated or divorced, the tax consequences can be unexpected and it's well worth, again, taking advice before you enter into major transactions. Moving now to the opposite end of the spectrum, there's been a very long-running saga in the EU courts about Apple and whether they should pay more tax in Ireland. The amounts at stake here are some 13 billion euros, which is quite a lot. In fact, I think it distorted Ireland's GDP in the year in which they received the cash. It relates back to some sophisticated US international tax planning, which started in about 2003, so 20 years ago. And the question was whether Apple was allocating enough profit to Ireland. It's a very interesting but largely theoretical case that's now been overtaken in any case by the developments at the OECD and the introduction of a 15% global minimum tax. But I think it illustrates just how big the sums at stake were and just how much tax US multinationals in particular were planning around in those days. Moving on to another one, which is a lot of money, the Danish 
tax case, which has been heard in the UK Supreme Court, Alan. Yes, so a British hedge fund trader has lost final bid to block Denmark's tax authority from pursuing him and others in London over an alleged £1.44 billion come ex-tax fraud after senior judges ruled the case could proceed. So the UK Supreme Court unanimously rejected arguments that the case amounted to a foreign state attempting to enforce its domestic laws in English courts and breached a well-established principle known as the revenue rule. This is the rule against foreign tax authority enforcement in another country. The, the, um, the substance of the Danish claim is that the individuals defrauded the tax authority to obtain refunds to which they were never entitled, and the authority has brought its claims as a victim of fraud. The so-called COMEX schemes, which flourished following the 2008 financial crisis, involved trading shares rapidly around the syndicates of banks, investors and hedge funds to exploit the tax systems of countries such as Denmark, Germany and Belgium. The ruling is seen as a significant victory for the Danish tax authorities, and it will also give confidence to other countries that are looking to accrue huge amounts of money. Thanks very much, Alan. Quite a range of tax cases Mm. this week. And finally, one business topic that we didn't mention on last week's episode was the collapse of WeWork in the US. And I think you had some brief comments from a global mobility perspective on that one, Alan. Yeah, absolutely, Heather. So a very interesting story in relation to WeWork. So the beleaguered company once valued at $47 billion on the private market had a 98% decline on its share price in the last year amid the remote working revolution during and after the pandemic. Being a global mobility specialist, and I love talking about remote working, and I'll probably talk about it in my sleep, but it again highlights how remote working has changed the working landscape over the past few years. Whilst there are undoubted benefits around the ability to access talent anywhere in the world, as well as meeting any sustainability goals, employees and companies also need to pay attention to the risk, especially the tax risks of creating a PE, permanent establishment, should I say, local country income tax and social security are holding and other compliance filing requirements. It's just a timely reminder to review your remote worker population, take any corrective action and put in place policies or frameworks to manage it all going forward. Thanks very much, Alan. That's all for this week on The Tax Factor. This time next week, it'll all be over. We'll know Jeremy Hunt's budget plans as all is revealed in his autumn statement. I'll be in the studio with Blick Rothenberg CEO Nimesh Shah for a special edition of The Tax Factor to take you through all the important tax updates. Look out for The Tax Factor earlier than usual next week on all the usual platforms. Thanks for having me along, Heather. We also want to hear from you. If you visit the Tax Factor page on our website, you'll find a form to contact us. Let us know the stories and topics that you'd like us to cover. We record the podcast on a Wednesday, so you can message us right up to the time we record. I'm sorry, but we can't give individual advice or responses to messages. I look forward to being back on the Tax Factor very soon. Until next time, from Alan and myself, goodbye and thanks for listening. That's all for this episode of the Tax Factor. Find all our previous episodes wherever you get your podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not try Brave Business, our podcast series for entrepreneurs. Find it wherever you get The Tax Factor or on the Blick Rothenberg website. The Tax Factor.